Good morning, everybody. Sorry, I am late. I had an errand to run this morning after I dropped my kid off for preschool. And it just, what can I say? It's Monday. Uh, things are things are slower on Monday, and uh, that's how it's gone. But I'm here now, and welcome. This is Just Human number 158, I think. Yeah, it's 158. And today is Monday. It is December 5th, D5. Whether that means anything today, I don't know. I'm hoping it means something, but we'll find out. Hope you all had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. Um, We had an amazing show last night on Badlands, and I got to recommend it. Um, Let me grab grab it right here. Is it this page? No. What is it? This one. Yes. I need to be here. This last night defected episode five was awesome. It was so much fun and the chat was amazing. Um, both on Foxhole and on rumble. We had so many great people contributing to the conversation and, um, I was great. Burning bright was okay. And we had a really good conversation. Burning bright came up with the term Kanye Kazi. For what Ye is doing, I think that is very fitting. Um, man, it was so good. And if you guys like what I do, if you like what Burning Bright does, and you're interested, go over to Badlands Media on Rumble and make sure you watch Defected Episode 5 sometime this week. And when you do, hit this plus button, because that really helps us um, in the Rumble algorithm. And if you like the show, or whether you don't, if you whether you like it or don't like it, leave a comment because that also helps us out with the Rumble algorithm. Um, I've noticed that a lot of Badlands shows have been making the uh, the Rumble battle board over here, right here. This uh, battle leader leaderboard, where like it's based on how many Rumbles you get. Um, the Devolution Power Hour was up as high as number four. I saw over the weekend. And I've seen some other Badlands show make it. Shout out to Tron. He's on there. And then check it out. I'm sitting here at number 27 with the bonus hour I did. So if after this show or sometime this week you're interested, I did do a bonus hour like I said I might do um, on Friday. This show, this this bonus hour here is all about um, Joffy and his companies. And it's just a, I mean, it's just me sharing information. I'm just reading Dawson threads and giving some commentary. Um, I read a recent Dawson thread, which is over the the stuff with Trust Core and Packet Forensics that we were talking about on Friday, but then trailed off into older threads about Joffe and the Sussman indictment and um, the, the hundred and hundred million plus IP addresses from the Pentagon. Um, it was great. Um, well, I think it was great. Mostly thanks to Dawson. I'm just reading Dawson's research and presenting it. So shout out to Dawson S field. He's a must follow over on Twitter and, um, his threads are must reads. I really enjoyed going over his material and I had to stop myself a few times from going back even further into some of these threads because he's got some that I've never presented on the show that are just mind blowing. And Iowa Trump mentioned to me over on true social that, you know, it's, you look back at some of those threads from Dawson 
that he wrote two, three years ago, even four years ago, and you read them now, and you're like, wow, we had we had so much information back then, and we didn't even realize it. We didn't even realize how much information was right there in front of us. But now, in the fullness of time, in the context that we have now, with the other pieces of information that we have, they're completing the picture. You go back and look at articles and threads from four years ago, and you see them in a whole new way. And uh, you perceive things about them that you completely missed the first time you read them. So anyway, that's what the bonus hour was about. And I enjoyed presenting it. If you're interested, it's up on my Rumble page. And I also put it out as a uh, podcast on my Substack. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you, UK Neil, for uh, sharing this. Um, appreciate it, man. Shout out to UK Neil. I don't know if he's here this morning. He also does a good show. If you guys are interested, UK Neil streams on Rumble and um, I think he streams on Gitter as well. But I know he's on Rumble and Foxhole. UK Neil. He's a good follow on Twitter and a good follow on True Social. Okay. This morning, I need to take a sip of coffee. This morning, I have some, uh, not really random, but I have a few pieces of a few news articles I just want to hit on real quick and then dig into some of what we learned um, over the weekend with the the Elon's reveal. I'm honestly not sure where we're going to end up this morning. I kind of just have some items I think are interesting and we're just going to navigate them and see where it takes us. So let's go. First one. Good morning, UK Neil. And EH Kyle and Elaine Watkins and Cully45 and Miss Lori and Randy AB and Jens Mia and Free Think Mind. RL Skeeter. Good morning, everybody. And on uh, Foxhole, good morning to Lou Ann and Diane Brodine and Karen Allen. Lou Ann, see you again. Good morning, everybody over there. Mistin, Mistin the EMT, Mistin Dempt. I'm not sure. Good morning. Thank you for watching on Foxhole. Thank you for watching on Rumble, D Live, Telegram, wherever you're watching. Appreciate it, guys. First news story Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan. So, Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan are being sued. And I remember I covered this last week, I think on Monday or Wednesday. They're being sued by some victims of Epstein. And remember, it was pretty interesting because they were being accused of knowingly furthering his business and profiteering off of Epstein's human trafficking and exploitation of people. So sometimes people get sued, like these or entities like banks get sued. And it seems like they're just suing them because they have a lot of money and it's going to make more sense for this bank to just settle. So really it's a money grab. Even if there is some wrong there, it's a money grab because mist in the mountain. There we go. Foxhole over on Foxhole mist in the mountain. I get it now. <laughs> Good morning. Um, so sometimes people will do lawsuits and lawsuits. And it's not that it's frivolous. It's just that, 
there's some wrong there and you would expect, okay, the bank's probably going to settle this lawsuit and it's not going to go anywhere really. This is a little different because there are, these victims are accusing Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan of knowingly profiteering off of Epstein's crimes, understanding that Epstein was committing crimes, looking the other way and making money off of him. So this lawsuit could carry with it a lot of interesting reveals in the court filings. The news I have for you is that the judge that this lawsuit has been assigned to is from our perspective, the best judge that it could possibly be assigned to. And from the bank's perspective, the worst. That is because after the stock market meltdown of 2008, Wall Street could hardly have found a sharper critic on the federal bench than senior U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff, or Rakoff. He repeatedly wondered aloud why more mega bank executives didn't go to jail. Both from the bench and in the case, the public didn't hear him, and, and in case the public didn't hear him, in the pages of the New York Review of Books. It's rare for federal judges to state their opinions in mass market magazines rather than in their courtrooms, but Rakoff's headlines pulled no punches. One asked bluntly, quote, the financial crisis. Why have no high-level executives been prosecuted? This is the judge who penned this right here. On Tuesday, Judge Rakoff gained two explosive cases alleging an especially sorted brand of financial malfeasance. Proposed class, class action lawsuits accusing J.P. Morgan and Deutsche Bank of complicity in Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking of women and girls. The lawsuit against Deutsche Bank accused the German lender of violating federal anti-racketeering law, a statute designed to combat the mafia and organized crime gangsters. Both actions allege violations of the Trafficking Victim Protection Act and detail the reasons both banks knew their customer, knew their customer, Jeffrey Epstein, from the flood of evidence against him that emerged from his Florida prosecution. The Epstein sex trafficking ventures Sorry, the Epstein sex trafficking venture's purpose included enticing, obtaining, harboring, and transporting the young victims without drawing unwanted attention from law enforcement. Both the lawsuits read in identical passages. The venture had everything a sex trafficking organization needed, funding, infrastructure, the appearance of legitimacy, and perhaps most importantly, a complicit banking institution. It was by many accounts the most powerful and wealthiest sex trafficking venture ever created. Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan Chase have both faced Judge Rakoff in his courtroom before and had a rough go of it. In fact, this past June, Rakoff gave the green light to separate a lawsuit by Deutsche Bank's shareholders who sued that bank for doing business with risky clients like Epstein and Russian oligarchs. Quote, The statements at issue here describe specific processes that the bank and its executives allegedly knew were being systematically undermined by an unwritten but pervasive practice of exempting ultra-rich and politically connected wealth management clients from the due diligence processes supposedly required by bank policy, Rakoff found in a 30-page opinion in May, which sent the case to discovery. Deutsche Bank ultimately settled that lawsuit in September for $26.25 million. The latest lawsuit seeking to hold the bank liable for its relationship with Epstein does not specify how much in damages it seeks. 
only that this amount should be tripled under the RICO statute. Also, earlier this year, Rakoff advanced another lawsuit against J.P. Morgan Chase filed by former compliance employee Shaquala Williams, or Shaquala Williams, who, who claims to have been fired for raising concerns about its program. The July ruling found that a reasonable jury could determine that Williams' protected activity contributed to her termination. That case also settled in October on undisclosed terms. CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers, who spent decades as a federal prosecutor inside the Southern District of New York, knows Rakoff as fearless. Quote, I think some litigants may be wary of drawing Judge Rakoff for a few reasons. He moves cases more swiftly than most judges do. He has seen it all and so does not suffer fools or foolish arguments, and he is absolutely fearless. A judge who refuses to approve major settlements with the SEC or rules that the federal death penalty is unconstitutional is not afraid of reversal or criticism. Judge Rakoff is about as far from a rubber stamp as you can get. More than a decade ago, Rakoff famously tried to stop a settlement between Securities and Exchange Commission and Citigroup allowing the bank to pay $285 million. Pocket change, in the judge's view, for allegedly selling $1 billion in mortgage-backed securities that they secretly shorted. One trader was quoted calling the securities a collection of dog shit in internal messages. The Second Circuit ultimately reversed Rakoff on appeal, finding that he didn't have the authority to block the settlement. Deutsche Bank released a brief statement to Law and Crime, quote, We believe this claim lacks merit and will present our arguments in court. J.P. Morgan Chase declined to comment. Attorney Brad Edwards, who represents the Epstein survivor suing the banks, did not immediately respond to an email requesting comment. Now, doesn't that make you feel good on Monday morning that the judge who drew these two cases, from the bank's perspective, is the worst one, and from the victim's perspective, is the best? I'm looking forward to these two cases. Um, and after reading that, actually, after reading this, I'm thinking, man, I should probably look these cases up and uh, file them away and maybe read them. See what we get out of them. Um, I might do that. I might look these cases up and, and read the indictment. Um, and we'll see if we want to. We want to follow it more closely. Okay. See, one, one of the things, one last point on this. The thing that really has me interested about this case, this lawsuit here is that they're, they're seeking to, to prove that Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan were complicit in Epstein's activities. And I want to see how they prove that. That's a really big claim that they were complicit and they knowingly profited off of Epstein's sex trafficking. And I really want to know how they proved that. Um, that's what's really got me interesting. That's what could be explosive in this case is if they, they have some evidence that makes it where they can actually prove that, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Anyway, next thing. Recall the conic um, thing and Eugene Yu being arrested. 
And remember, he was indicted out of L.A. County um, by Gascon. And um, it was everything that we had learned at the pit about what Connick was doing and what other what researchers had found about what Connick was doing. Um, but then a few weeks ago, um, L.A. dropped the case. Excuse me. They dropped the indictment. And they said because there was concerns about bias in the original indictment. And my understanding from reading it um, is that their concern is about true the vote and and or Greg Phillips because they use true the vote and or Greg Phillips. Um, I believe Greg testified at a grand jury in L.A. My understanding is I, I think he did, which led to that indictment of Eugene Yu. But the thing is, the um, Greg Greg Phillips and True the Vote are biased. Like it doesn't mean that they're they're bad at their research or that their whatever information they had was incorrect, but they are biased. So if you're bringing a case, you don't really want to have that bias included. That could that could damage your case um, or weaken your case against um, your target. So they dropped that indictment and then. They also said we've reformed an investigation and we're investigating, we're, we're reinvestigating the case. So they haven't abandoned it altogether. But we just got this piece of news um, last week that LA DA Gascon placed the deputy who led the investigation into Eugene Yu and Connick on administrative leave. So on October 4th, when we were one of the first news organizations to report on the arrest of Eugene Yu, this is from Red State, a Chinese national and CEO of election software company Conic for allegedly storing election worker and other data on servers, servers in China. We expressed surprise that LA, Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon was the one prosecuting the case. After all, Conic was suing True the Vote for defamation for allegedly essentially the same thing. The arrest was a huge embarrassment to a New York Times reporter, you guys probably recall that, who'd published a piece just one day prior about a small group of election deniers who pushed a conspiracy theory. Well, less than two months later, the charges have been dropped, but are allegedly still being investigated, and Gascon has placed the lead deputy district attorney on the case on administrative leave. The fact of that leave, of course, being leaked to Gascon's favorite reporter at the L.A. Times, along with the insinuation that the deputy DA had acted unprofessionally or improperly. Quote, L.A. prosecutor put on leave over questionable case sparked by election conspiracy theories. That's the L.A. Times headline. Within the article and another article published on November 16th, it's clear that Gascon's trying to distance himself from the entire episode and throw Deputy DA Eric Neff under the bus. Gascon's spokesperson, Tiffany Blacknell, issued a statement to the Times, quote, We knew that the arrest of Mr. Yu would quickly become public, publicly known, and it could raise suspicion about the security of the election. We also knew that some members of the public would worry that votes were stolen or miscounted, which was was never been has never been an issue or have legitimate concerns about data privacy she said she added that much of the information gascon provided at the news conference came from employees closest to the investigation blacknell's statement indicated that office leadership found problems with the evidence after the arrest was announced 
Quote, during the course of this prosecution, upper-level management became aware of irregularities in how the case was presented. It's more likely that Gascon underestimated how quickly the story would tear through the conservative media sphere, that his prosecution might hamper Connick's case against True the Vote, and that he could be seen as supporting election deniers. Yep. In addition, Sean Hassett, who has been who was then heading the Public Integrity Division, PID. In just a moment. Sorry. Division in charge of the prosecution was rebuked by Judge Kathleen Kennedy during a 2021 corruption case. Kennedy said Hassett was, quote, just tripping over his feet and falling on his face. Gascon has a history of selecting his political allies to lead important divisions instead of people who are actually competent. So it's not surprising that he chose Hassett to lead one of the most important divisions in his office or that he chose to punish someone else when he needed a fall guy. So I have concerns. This could be Gascon saying, all right, we are not going to pursue this. We're going to make, we're going to make the, the deputy DA, the fall guy say he didn't do a good job investigating. We never should have brought this indictment and we're going to move on from this. That could be what's going on here. Um, I have a feeling it is because I don't expect Gascon. I mean, you wouldn't expect Gascon to be the guy to bring the case against Eugene Yu and Connick, but we'll see what happens. It's not the only, um, it's not the only place that Connick was active. And it's so it's not the only place that could bring charges against Connick or Eugene Yu, um, which reminds me there was, and I don't, I didn't save it, but there was some, there were some sealed indictments that were put on the docket in Detroit last week and the suspicion is that they have to do with and they probably do have to do with some uh former public officials in detroit who are under investigation but it's something to watch because we could see an indictment of eugene Yu and or conic come out of michigan instead of la you would think that would be the case since that's where the investigation started, but another development in relation to Eugene Yu. I have, I have concerns. I really want this to go forward because I've seen from what, I mean, from what we've seen, it seems like Connick has broken the law and, um, and he's, they need to be investigated thoroughly and charges brought. If that is the case. All right, there was a rumble rant from R. Terrell. Good morning, R. Terrell. Complicity, I wonder if the media is paying attention. Can you say precedent? Well, I the, some media is paying attention. I mean, the good thing about... One of the things is that law and crime is not... You know, they're not like conservative media. Um, law and crime is paying attention, and then Adam Klasfeld is very good reporter and he's not a le- he's not exactly conservative either and he's watching this so i feel like um look the the msm is never going to report on this stuff 
but someone like Adam Klasfeld and some others will. It's up, it's up to individuals. It's up to all of us to dig this stuff up, up in the court filings and share it around. The, the mainstream media and the conservative incorporated media, they're never going to, they're never going to report it. I mean, hell, hell, the, uh, the Maxwell case, which Classville did a good job covering, um, the Maxwell case was a massive victory. We, Maxwell's rotting in prison right now, and she's probably going to be there for the rest of her life. It was a huge win. That was a year ago, right? It's been a year. It's been a year since Maxwell was uh, convicted, or just about a year. It was a huge, huge win. It should have been a massive celebration, and people like Jack Posobiec and others made sure to black pill it to death and rob everyone of the opportunity to celebrate it. Conservative Incorporated, led by Jack Posobiec, made sure that everybody thought the Maxwell trial was corrupt and a fix, and it wasn't a win at all. It was something to be upset about and to doom about. And honestly, I'll never forgive him for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll honestly never forgive him for that because we have been wanting that conviction for so long. It was such a massive victory. It was a massive victory for the victims. It was an amazing moment that we should have celebrated as a community. And Jack Posobiec and Conservative Incorporated Media made sure to control that narrative and doom it into the ground. And I should probably stop talking about that because I'm going to go on a rant and start cussing. I mean, I, I have, yeah. Yeah. The news media, even conservative media, they're not your friend. They're out for themselves. Don't don't expect them to uh, to report on the victories. They won't do it. It doesn't benefit them. Yeah, Arturell, they're next. Yeah, a lot of these media people, they're complicit too. They're not going to report on things they're complicit in, are they? Razor Sharp, good morning. Was it Lincoln that suspended the Constitution? Lincoln suspended habeas corpus, right? I'm not sure it's technically true that Lincoln suspended the Constitution. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure it's technically true that Lincoln suspended the Constitution. Did Let's just look it up. Yeah, he suspended habeas corpus. Habeas Corpus Act, entitled an act relating to habeas corpus and regulating judicial proceedings in certain cases, was an act of Congress that authorized the President of the United States to suspend the right of habeas corpus in response to the American Civil War and provided for the release of political prisoners. Yeah. He didn't suspend the Constitution. I don't believe a president has the power to suspend the the Constitution, suspend 
parts of it in a state of emergency so that certain measures can be taken. Yeah, I could see that. Um, such as continuity of government and devolution. I could see that suspending the constitution, suspending the constitution itself. I mean, I don't even see why would that be needed? I could see suspending habeas corpus being needed depending on the situation, but I don't see suspending the entire constitution. I don't, I don't see that. Yeah. Okay. Next story. This is good news. Okay, y'all stop talking about Poso because y'all are going to get me all irritated and I'm going to go on a Kyle rant because <laughs> I haven't even talked about Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, man. Oh, okay. Got to move on. Got to move on. This story is from last Friday. ABB agrees to pay over $315 million to resolve a coordinated global foreign bribery case. Now, ABB is a massive company um, which does robotics and electronics and uh, automation and things like that. Um, I'm familiar with ABB because I've seen them advertise in Formula One, but I never really knew what they did. I just, I just recognize them as a company that I've seen advertised in F1. They're huge. Let me tell you about them. They are a Swiss-based global technology company listed on the New York Stock Exchange with core business focused on electrification, automation, motion, and robotics. And they've agreed to pay more than $315 million to resolve an investigation into violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, FCPA, stemming from the bribery of a high-ranking official at South Africa's state-owned energy company. You can say, okay, well, that's great, but why do we care about South, Af South Africa's state-owned energy company? I'll tell you. The Department of Justice resolution is coordinated with prosecutorial authorities in South Africa and Switzerland, as well as the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Quote, this is the department's first coordinated resolution with authorities in South Africa where much of ABB's criminal scheme was carried out, reflecting our commitment to relationship building and our ever-deepening partnership in the global fight against corruption. Yes, I've told you guys the swamp is international, and this is swamp draining. This is part of draining the swamp. If you want to drain the swamp that funds crooked politicians across the world, and corrupt businesses across the world, you have to drain the swamp across the world. And this is exactly what this is happening under the Biden administration. I know that's a shocker, but it is. ABB bribed a high-ranking official at South Africa's state-owned energy company in order to corrupt, corruptly obtain confidential information and win lucrative contracts. In addition, our partners in South Africa have brought corruption charges against that official. This resolution demonstrates the criminal division's thoughtful approach to appropriately balancing ABB's extensive remediation, timely and full cooperation. Cooperation. I love it when we use that term. We get to use that term as it relates to swamp draining. 
and demonstrated intent to bring the misconduct to the department's attention promptly upon discovering it, while also accounting for ABB's historical misconduct. Now, scroll down here. Let me tell you about the terms of this resolution. According to court documents and statements made in the court, ABB entered into a three-year deferred prosecution agreement with the department in connection with the filing of a criminal information um, of criminal information in the Eastern District of Virginia, charging the company with conspiracy to violate the FCPA's anti-bribery provisions, conspiracy to violate the FCPA's books and records provisions, and substantive violations of FCPA. In addition, ABB subsidiaries, ABB Management Systems, ABB South Africa, each pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to violate the anti-bribery provisions of FCPA. The department reached this resolution with ABB based on a number of factors, including one, the nature and seriousness of the misconduct. Two, ABB's demonstrated intent to disclose the misconduct promptly to the department. Three, ABB's extraordinary cooperation with the department's investigation. Read that again. ABB's extraordinary cooperation with the department's investigation. Four, ABB's extensive remediation, including carrying out a root cause analysis of the misconduct and making significant investments in compliance personnel, compliance testing, and monitoring through the organization. Five, ABB's commitment to further enhance its compliance program and internal controls, including enhancing reporting provisions that require ABB during the dependency of the DPA to meet with the department at least quarterly and submit yearly reports regarding the status of its remediation efforts, the results of its testing and compliance program, its proposals to ensure compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Six, ABB's decade-old criminal history, which includes two prior criminal resolutions by ABB entities with the Department for FCPA violations in 2004 and 2010, as well as a guilty plea by ABB entity for bid rigging in 2001. Seven, the SCC and its anticipated resolution of a related investigation by German authorities. Oh, so this isn't the only investigation that we can expect some sort of resolution of. There's another investigation by German authorities into ABB. And they're cooperating with that too. Eight. And this is my favorite one. ABB's agreement to continue to cooperate with the department in ongoing investigations. In light of these considerations, the criminal monetary penalty reflects a 25% discount off the midpoint between the middle and high end of otherwise applicable U.S. sentencing guidelines and fine range. So, this is a $315 million resolution to resolve this foreign bribery case. But it's a lot more than that because ABB had to enter into deferred prosecution. They're cooperating with the authorities on this case and on other investigations, and they had to commit to continue cooperating. So, I'm going to tell you guys, 
I don't think it's a bad bet that an international company, a Swiss-based global technology company, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, which has business in electronics and automation and robotics and just got caught trying to bribe energy officials in South Africa. I'm going to bet this company knows quite a bit about the international swamp. And I'm going to bet that there's a lot of information that would be very useful to the Department of Justice and to other law enforcement entities in Europe that is going to come out of ABB. The extraction industries, energy industries, um, such as what was going on and what they were found guilty of trying to bribe in uh, South Africa. I mean, that's, that's where so much corruption happens is the extraction industries. So I think this is pretty, I think this is pretty big and I wouldn't be surprised to learn about, you know, years, probably years from now, other cases being opened up thanks to the cooperation that comes out of this resolution and deferred prosecution agreement. Good stuff. Okay. Next thing, just kind of a, uh, something I noticed. Brandon Van Grack, co-chair of the National Security Practice, former DOJ NATSEC official, a name that is familiar to a lot of people who have researched Spygate. Van Grack posted this on Twitter. There's For attorneys interested in national security, there's an opening at DOJ counterintelligence and export control section, which investigates spies, hackers, and foreign agents. They led the Mar-a-Lago and Russia investigations. They have an opening for a trial attorney. And here it is. And I saw this and my first thought, this job was posted. Let's see. It was updated November 28th. I don't know if it tells me what date the job was posted. The deadline is December 23rd to put in your application. Well, if it's updated on November 28th, then it's been here since at least then. But what I thought about when I saw this was, I wonder if a trial attorney attorney from counterintel and export control got pulled out and moved into the Jack Smith special counsel's office. Or... I wonder if a trial attorney got in trouble for something. I'm going to go with the former. I wonder if uh, one of the trial attorneys that worked here got added to the Jack Smith special counsel's office. And I would be interesting, interested in finding out who it is. The um, Jack Smith's special counsel's office now has a website, justice.gov. My tongue is getting in the way this morning. Justice.gov slash SEO dash Smith um, is the website. And they haven't added anything here yet, but I'd be interested to find out 
who all is on Jack Smith's team. And I think that it's a a reasonable bet that the reason this job is available is because one of these trial attorneys who was part of this section of DOJ got moved into this special counsel. Okay. Now I saw y'all, some of y'all in chat still talking about, um, the constitution and suspension of it. And you leak, you linked, linked, linked something from John. Let me see. John and I may have a disagreement here. Um, let me see. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. He is linking, uh, Lincoln made no secret of these actions, which he justified on the grounds that quote, existing exigencies demand immediate and adequate measures for the protection of the national constitution and national union. A year later, in response to charges of dictatorship, Lincoln insisted that, quote, it became necessary for me to choose whether using only the existing means, agencies, and processes which, the Congre- which Congress had provided, I should let the government fall at once into ruin, or whether availing myself of the broader powers conferred by the Constitution in case of insurrection, I would make an effort to save it with all its blessings for the present age for posterity. Posterity. Lincoln did not define these broader powers conferred by the Constitution. At other times, however, he cited the commander-in-chief clause in the Constitution mandate that the president, quote, shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Article 2, Section 3. Later, presidents also invoked these vague provisions to justify far-reaching executive actions, in some cases drawing on Lincolnian precedents. Lincoln believed that, quote, by these and other similar measures taken in that crisis of April through May 1861, some of which were without any authority of law, the government was saved from overthrow. Lincoln had taken an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. This larger duty overrode his obligation to heed a lesser specific provision in the Constitution, or as a modern constitutional scholar, Michael Stokes Paulson expressed in an article in spring 2004 of the University of Chicago Law Review, quote, a part cannot be supreme over the whole to the injury or destruction of the whole. Looking back in 1864 to events three years earlier, Lincoln asked in a letter to Albert G. Hodges, quote, was it possible to lose the nation and yet preserve the Constitution? By general law, life and limb must be protected, yet often a limb must be amputated to save a life. But a life is never wisely given to save a limb. I felt that measures otherwise unconstitutional might become lawful by becoming indispensable to the preservation of the Constitution through preservation of the nation. Well, that was worth a read. This Patel guy, John Harold, you know, he has some good stuff. I don't know if y'all have ever read his stuff, but uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. You should check it out. I covered it last night on um on defected, but those those Trump truths, which uh, I bet that's what this Fox News story is about. Let's see. Do they link to the truth? They just quote parts of it. They're just quoting parts of it, aren't they? Yeah. 
President Biden's White House says former President Donald Trump deserves to be universally condemned for arguing that parts of the U.S. Constitution should be terminated last week. Okay, they linked. Do they link to it? No, they don't even link to it. Look at that. Look at that. They quote part of it, but they don't say the whole thing. If you click on it, it just takes you to Trump's page. It says Trump posted on social media. They don't even say true social. Okay, they finished the quote right here. Quote, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude. Actually, I'm screw them. Let's go to truth. Let's go to truth. And let's go right over there to real Donald Trump. And let's scroll. He retruthed this. Totally corrupt. You know, them not linking or screenshotting exactly what Trump said. I mean, it's a snub at Trump, but it also like, it makes me think they're scared of truth social. Like they don't want to give any advertisement to truth social at all. And I'm y'all probably feel like this too. Lately. I've been really, um, I haven't been enjoying true social so much. Cause there's so much um, black pilling and infighting and negativity in the comments. Um, it just hasn't. It just hasn't been a, true. Social hasn't been as good as it could be. Because I think because there's a lot of uh, infiltrators and um, controlled opposition types and shills and other types of uh, people that are have gone into true social in order to disrupt what we did have going on there. And um, the way to combat that is to keep using true social the way you want to use it and keep putting out good content on true social and drown them out. Um, but they're, de- they're definitely leading up into the midterms. There's definitely been a change on true social where it's gotten less fun to be there and it, they've had an impact. Um, there's tons of people commenting on my post that I like engaging with, but there are also people is just super reactionary and super negative. Um, it's pretty, it, it gets absurd sometimes to where I don't even like, I don't even want to look at my notifications. And that sucks, but I also recognize that it's, I think it's artificial. So I try not to let it get, I try to ignore it and move past it. Cause I'm like, this is actually artificial. There's a lot of good people here. Um, but I think there were, I think the enemy and the main, the media and other social sites, I think they worry about true social in the sense that we can have our own social media without them and we can build our narratives and build our research and interact with Trump and other people on his team. And then we can take that out of truth social 
and take it to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I really think that's what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to use true social as the launch point as like the home base. And we're supposed to gather information there and share it amongst ourselves. And yeah, it's an echo chamber and that's sometimes echo chambers aren't good, but if you're taking stuff in echo chamber and you're kicking it around for the purpose of refining it and building it out, fleshing it out, getting a better grasp of it. And then you're taking it out of the echo chamber into the larger world. I think that's a good thing. Um, anyway, so Donald Trump truthed out unprecedented fraud requires unprecedented cure. I agree with that. Uh, what just happened? Okay, there we go. Had a glitch there for a moment. Now, this one right here. This is what they're they're tripping up about. And we talked about this last night on Defected. Me and Burning Bright did. So, with the revelation of massive fraud, massive and widespread fraud, and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Is that what should be done? Or do you have a new election? And this is the one they hate. A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. So, I read that, and I can't see it as anything other than a strong nod and towards devolution or continuity of government or whatever it was that Trump did. And I am, I am firmly of the opinion that Trump did something. And if, and I'm of that opinion because of who, because of the signs of it, that, that John has dug into the EOs and the personnel moves and all of that, but also because of studying Trump and learning who Trump is. If Trump did nothing, then Trump failed. He was derelict in his duty. He was derelict. He, he violated his oath to the constitution. If Trump just walked away and did nothing, knowing there was this much fraud, knowing there was this much interference in our election, knowing how corrupt the Biden family was. Um, remember when he said, if all of these things are true, Biden can't be president. And take all of that into account. I can't. I don't believe that Trump would just walk away. I don't believe that. I remember I've talked about this before. I remember after January 20th and Biden was sworn in. I remember the day after I was outside in the backyard um, watching my kids jump on the trampoline and I was smoking a cigar and I suddenly realized, oh, I was I was wrestling with this idea of Trump walking away and Biden being president, and I suddenly it just like clicked for me. Trump didn't walk away. I don't know what he did, but he did something. There's no way that Trump would 
fail to uphold the rule of law, and there's no way that Trump would fail to honor his oath to the Constitution. And I remember just thinking, I don't know what he did, but I know he did something. And I'm just going to rest in that assurance, rest in that belief. I'm going to find, I'm going to find some comfort in that belief and move forward. And whatever it is they did, we'll figure it out. But that's, and ever, ever since that moment, I've just been like, you know what? You did something. We'll try and figure out what it is, but uh, things are not what they seem. Things, things are not the way they seem. And I feel like this right here, I, I don't know what it could be a nod to other than continuity of government. I've tried to read it a couple different ways. Um, see, and I said it last time on Defected, that Trump is possibly the most, the most law and order president we've ever had. So Trump is not going to take our laws. He's not going to take the Constitution, our founding documents, and just say, well, we can throw those in the trash can. Trump's not going to do that. Whatever Trump did, it's going to be lawful. It's going to be 100% lawful. So, what lawful measure could he have taken? Well, devolution and continuity of government is lawful. It's constitutional. It's been used before. It's been part of our laws. It's been an option for presidents for a long time, for over 50 years, 70 years, something like that, something like 70 years. Um, that's what I think happened. I think he used continuity of government to devolve the, to devolve the powers of the executive branch into the combatant commanders and set it up so that the combatant commanders are making sure that the national essential fun, national essential functions are fulfilled while we're going through this time period. And as bad as things are, I don't think our country's going to fall apart. That's why I don't have this like, like, I get these comments about how America can't make it another four years. America can't make it another two years. And like, I can't, I can't even put myself in the mindset where I would believe such a thing about America. Um, one, the, the Democrats haven't managed to do anything they wanted to do. Like they're just stumbling over themselves over and over again. Um, like they're they're failing. It's extraordinary how bad they are right now. How little success the Democrats are having in altering the country to what they want it to be. Um, I I just like I don't know how you can look at this administration and be and be convinced that somehow it's going to be capable of destroying America. This, this administration isn't capable of putting together a coherent news conference, uh, press conference. Um, so like, I'm not even scared of them. Um, but, but even more significant point 
is that America is so much stronger than people give it credit for. Um, like America, America is so much stronger than people give it credit for it. It drives, it drives me nuts when people think that America is so fragile, so fragile that someone like Joe Biden in this administration could destroy it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Um, Okay. Next thing. Let's tear into this Hunter Biden stuff. And um what we learned over the weekend. So Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi basically gave us a movie. They gave us <laughs> Randy. Randy on Rumble says that dude can't even ride a bike. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying there aren't bad things happening, and that there isn't a crisis at the border. There is, and I'm not saying there isn't trouble with various things unchained look you're over on foxhole look you're right the economy is struggling we're in recession right now um i don't approve of vax mandates although those are getting shut down all over the place um we have to continue to refuse resist authoritarianism of course um yeah look i'm not saying that things are perfect right now and there's a cherry and we should all just sit back and um eat popcorn and drink beer and enjoy the show every day and not be active. Like we have the opportunity here to take our country back. It's up to, it's up to us to be active locally. Um, we have to do our part. We're not having, it's not like it's a, uh, these are the best times, you know, like right now, like, like there's lots of struggles and lots of things there. Inflation and gas prices and food prices, Lord have mercy. But it's, yeah, like Forgotten Son just said on Rumble, this this is nothing that we can't overcome. <laughs> Forgotten Son also says, I can be active and drink beer, damn it. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. Okay, so I'm trying to decide how I want to cover this Twitter thing. Um. Um, let's got this right here. So what we got, oh no, I don't have it saved right here. I have it saved somewhere else. Hold on just a moment. Let me grab this. This is a very professional show, guys. I have everything perfectly prepared. I'm not making it up as I go along. Trust me. I spent hours and hours and hours preparing this show. Everything is perfectly laid out exactly the way I need it to be. I'm not waiting for a PDF to download and stalling for time while it does. 
and I'm definitely not struggling to find where that PDF downloaded to. I know exactly where it is. This is exactly how I wanted this segment to go. Okay. So uh, shout out to Joanne Coach who uh, put this together as a white paper. I shared it over on uh, my Telegram. This is part one of the Twitter files that Matt Taibbi came out with. And what happened, Elon said he was going to start revealing what happened with Twitter. And he's my one of my favorite comments that he has, he has uh, said is that he wants to reestablish trust in Twitter from the consumer's point of view that the consumer would have trust in, um, in the product that in the platform that Twitter is. And the only way to restore that trust, the only way to build back that trust, um, is that you be, you should be transparent They have, you have to be, there has to be transparency. Everybody needs to know exactly what happened with Twitter, what happened with shadow bans, what happened with people being suspended, stories being suppressed, et cetera, et cetera. There needs to be full transparency so people can understand what, what happened. And then Elon can reintroduce the company under new management to consumers, users, whatever. So that's what he's doing. That's the process he's going through with these, uh, these reveals. And that's his go, his goal. And I, I admire him for doing that. And I also, I think he's right. I think that's the right way to go about it. Um, so this, he, what he did is he selected Matt Taibbi to be the guy to introduce the Twitter files. Um, part one of them, there's going to be more. Matt Taibbi, in my opinion, was a perfect choice to do this. Matt used to write for the Rolling for Rolling Stone magazine. He is not a uh, conservative Republican Trump supporting journalist, um, but he is an independent journal journalist who um, is still worthy of respect. And if there's, he's one of few people who um, you can call him a journalist, and you know you can. It's a credit to him. He get he he deserves he gives credit and uh to the to the term journalist. Um whereas others discredit it and bring shame upon that title. Um Matt does does not. He brings credit to it. And I was talking on Defected last night that Matt Taibbi is one of the journalists that my non-Trump supporting friends, normies and liberals that I'm friends with family members and friends, coworkers who follow the news and who don't like Trump and believe Trump is corrupt and voted for Joe Biden or voted libertarian in 2020 um, or just didn't vote. Those people respect Matt Taibbi. And he's one of the journalists they would bring up to me over and over again when I was arguing with them about Trump and trying to convince them that Trump wasn't who they thought he was. And and they would, we would be talking about our sources and they wouldn't be willing to look at any of my sources. They weren't willing to look at any conservative news outlet. Um, 
or any alt journalist. Um, they weren't willing to listen to Trump or look at court cases or anything, but they were willing to read news articles by Matt Taibbi. So he's a great choice. And this is how he started on Friday. Um, Thread the Twitter files. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. What Elon did, it turned out, is Elon dumped a bunch of files on Matt Taibbi and said, here you go, go ahead and start threading. And Matt Taibbi was threading in real time as he read these. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It is a Frankensteinian tale or Frankensteinian tale of a human built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Twitter in its conception was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true real time global conversation possible for the first time in an early conception Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add those barriers. Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly, over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well, First a little, then more often, then constantly. By 2020, requests for connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, quote, more to review from the Biden team. The reply would come back handled. And here you have a screenshot from an email or a message saying, hey, more to review from the Biden team. And it lists a bunch of uh, Twitter handles saying, hey. You guys need to look at these people. We don't like the tweets that they're making. And the reply was, handled these. Likely meaning, deleted them, suspended, shadow banned them, who knows. But Twitter was doing work during an election cycle. This is from October 24th, 2020, 5.39 p.m. Twitter was taking cues. This is evidence. Twitter was taking cues from the Biden team on who to suppress on Twitter, whose free speech to suppress. Now, I made this point last night on Defected, and this is a point that is inspired by Sergeant Friday. He made this, uh, he articulated this brilliantly a number of times on his show that he used to do. And it's a point worth making over and over again. We all have beliefs which we mistake for facts. And we mistake our beliefs for what we know. So we sometimes get confused because we have these things where we we believe, right? We We believe that this was happening. We all believed that the Biden team was influencing Twitter and who Twitter suppressed, right? Now, we had that belief based on you know, good reasons. We had good reasons to think that and believe that, but we didn't know. We did not factually know for certain that that was happening. We couldn't point to a document and say, aha, see, this is proof. It's not just my belief. It's something I know. 
But with this tweet right here that Matt Taibbi sent, the eighth one in his thread, guys, now we know. Now we have material evidence that the Biden team did, in fact, tell Twitter who to censor, who to suppress, whose speech, whose First Amendment rights to violate in the 2020 election. Now we can say that we know that this happened. And that's why this thread is so significant. That's why the mainstream media and conservative incorporated media are not giving it the attention it deserves. This is why they are making it a nothing burger. They are trying to say that it wasn't a big reveal. Um, they're not, if they even are reporting on it, they're saying it's nothing or they're just ignoring it. Um, but this is the biggest news story from the past week. This is proof that the Biden team colluded with Twitter to suppress and violate the First Amendment rights of citizens during the presidential election as as leading up into, I mean, leading up until three weeks before we voted. Two weeks before we voted. Yeah, two weeks. So this could have, this right here could have been all that we learned and that was enough. I just really want to make sure y'all understand that what this is evidence of. It's absolutely massive. This is election interference. This is the Biden team and Twitter working together to, to commit election interference. This is a crime right here. Next, celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. From Sunday, October 25th, 2020, 9.58 a.m., I grabbed the first one under SI, deferred safety on the high-profile second one. Here we go, Saturday, October 24th, 2020, 6.54 p.m. An additional report from the DNC. Now we have the Democrat National Committee violating people's First Amendment rights and committing election interference on October 24th, 2020. It's right here. The DNC is telling Twitter whose First Amendment rights to, to violate. They're telling them to interfere in a presidential election. Here's the evidence. Both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. However, this system wasn't balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation. There were more channels, more ways to complain, open to the left, well, Democrats, than the right. So we have both parties are making these requests of Twitter. But overwhelmingly, it is the left who has the most access and the most contacts and the most uh, the the greatest ability to actually influence what Twitter does. And he posted the open secrets document here showing contributions. In 2022, 0.27% of the money that was contributed from Twitter employees to political parties, 0.27% of that money, $451 went to Republicans while 185,000 went to Democrats. And as you can see, Twitter is 99.73% dim. 
is according to their contributions. <coughs> the resulting slant in content moderation decisions is visible in the documents you're about to read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high-level executives. Okay. There was some throat clearing. Now, th what happened here is that the 12th tweet stayed up for a long time and nothing followed. And then he jumped to 16, meaning 13, 14, and 15 are missing. And I'm going to speculate that the reason for that, based on context, look at the context. It's the assessment of multiple current and former high-level executives. I'm going to speculate, based on the context right here and what's missing, that the reason he skipped ahead is because there's some sort of lawsuit or investigation involving those, these people. So under advisement of attorneys, he, he decided not to tweet numbers 13, 14, and 15. That's encouraging to me. I would like to I would like to know. I would like to know what these these tweets were. But um I think I think there's stuff happening that we're not aware of right now. So, the Twitter files part 1, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. On October 14th, 2020, the New York Post published Biden's secret emails, an expose based on the contents of the Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases such as child pornography. The White House spokeswoman, Kaylee McEnany, was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn, who seethed, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. And this is from Mike Hahn to um, C. Strom at Twitter. The subject is urgent. Kaylee McEnany Kaylee McEnany has been locked out of her account for simply talking about the New York Post story. All she did was cite the story and firsthand reporting that has been reported by other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an, I need an answer immediately on when, how she will be unlocked. I also don't appreciate how nobody on this team called me regarding the news that you'll be censoring news articles. Like I said, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. 20. This led public policy executive Carolyn Strom to send out a polite WTF query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms policy teams, who had little, less, little or less control over moderation, and the safety and trust teams. October 15th. Hi, team. Are you able to take a closer look here? Thank you. That's from Carolyn Strom. Strom's note returned the answer that the laptop, laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy. Hi, Carolyn. Thanks for reaching out to us. Per checking, the user was bounced by site integrity for violating our hacked materials policy. 
adding them here for further insights and guidance. Thanks, Elaine Ong Sato, Ops Analyst, Global Escalations Team. Although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that that summer about possible foreign hacks, there's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey, with former head of legal policy and trust Vijaya Gade playing a key role. Quote, they just freelanced it, end quote, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Quote, hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. 25. You can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gade and former trust and safety chief Yoel Roth. Comms official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. From 10-14-2020, New York Post, Hunter Biden laptop story, privileged and confidential. Our teams continue to investigate the origins of the material included in the reporting. Trenton Kennedy, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. I think the best explainability argument for this externally would be that we're waiting to understand if this story is the result of hacked materials. We'll face hard questions on this if we don't have some kind of solid reasoning for marking the link unsafe. And they tag some other Twitter folks. Katie Rossborough, will we also mark similar stories as unsafe? And she links in a Fox News story. By this point, Everyone knew this was fucked, said one former employee, but the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to err. Yoel Roth, the policy basis is hacked materials, though as discussed, this is emerging. This is an emerging situation. Sorry, guys, I should have zoomed in earlier for y'all to be able to see this. This is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear. Given the severe risk here and lessons of 2016, we're erring on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. But Jaya Gade, what is the warning that will come up? Yoel Roth. When you click the link, you'll see the, the generic unsafe URL message referencing spam, malware, and violations of Twitter rules. Not ideal, but it's the only thing we have. Ian Plunkett, whatever we do in the comms, this will become a biased claim for Jack pre-hearing immediately. Let's clear it. We're proactively but cautiously interpreting this through the lens of our hacked materials policy and allowing the link with a warning and significant reduction of spread. Former VP of Global Comms Brandon Borman asked, can we truthfully claim that this is part of the policy? To Ian's point, can we truthfully claim this is part of the policy, i.e. as part of our approach to addressing potentially hacked materials? We are limiting visibility of related stories on Twitter while our investigation is ongoing. To which Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker again seems to advise staying the non-course because caution is warranted. From Jim Baker, privileged and confidential, I support the conclusion 
that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked. At this stage, however, it is reasonable for us to assume that they may have been and that caution is warranted. There are some facts that indicate that the materials may have been hacked, while there are others indicating that the computer was either abandoned and or the owner consented to allow the repair shop to access it for at least some purposes. We simply need more information. A fundamental problem with tech companies and content moderation. Many people in charge of speech know or care little about speech and have to be told the basics by outsiders. To wit, in one humorous exchange on day one, Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna reaches out to Gade to gently suggest she hop on the phone to talk about the backlash reference speech. Khanna was the only Democratic official I could find in the files who expressed concern. From Ro Khanna on October 14th, 2020, 6.21 p.m. Generating huge backlash on the Hill Re speech. Happy to chat if you're up for it. Best row. Gade replies quickly, immediately diving into the weeds of Twitter policy, unaware Kana is more worried about the Bill of Rights. Hi, Congressman Kana. Thank you for reaching out, and we appreciate the heads up. We put out a clarifying thread of tweets earlier this evening to explain our policy around the posting of private information and linking directly to hacked materials. The press secretary's account was not permanently suspended. We requested that she delete the tweet containing material that is in violation of our rules, and her account is restricted until she complies. I'd be happy to jump on the phone, if helpful. My team in D.C., Jessica and Lauren, are copied here and also available to discuss. Kana tries to reroute the conversation to the First Amendment, mention of which is hard is generally hard to find in the Twitter files. Ro Kana to Vijaya Gade. Hope you're well, Vijaya. But this seems a violation of the First Amendment principles. If there is a hack of classified information or other information that could expose a serious war crime and the New York Times was to publish it, I think the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless they actively aided the hack. So, to restrict the distribution of that material, especially regarding a presidential candidate, seems not in the keeping of the principles of New York Times versus Sullivan. I say this as a total Biden partisan and convinced he didn't do anything wrong, but the story now has become more about censorship than relatively innocuous emails and it's become a bigger deal than it would have been. It also is now leading to serious efforts to curtail Section 230, many of which would have been a, many of which would have been a mistake. I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts in trending news, and your policy against QAnon groups is all good. It's a hard balance. But in the heat of a presidential campaign, restricting dissemination of newspaper articles, even if New York Post is far right, Seems like it will invite more backlash than it will do good. Please keep this communication between just us and Jack and no need to CC the team or forward to them. Just wanted to offer my two cents. So I shout out to Ro Khanna. Shout out to Ro Khanna, who actually had the sense of mind 
and just the respect for the Constitution and the election to be like, yo, um, I'm a Biden supporter and I don't think you did anything wrong, but you guys are violating the First Amendment here. It's actually really disturbing that it's really disturbing that there isn't more discussion of the First Amendment among amongst Twitter employees when it comes to censoring this laptop story. But that's how biased they were. They wanted an excuse to censor it and they reached for anything they could and hacked materials policies seemed to fit or at least they could massage it into fitting. They could cram it into fitting. And so they. They did, and they violated the First Amendment rights of news organizations and individuals using their platform. Um, I see a rumble rant from Liz Jen. Thank you very much. It's just me. Thank you very much. Maybe those missing points, uh, 13, 14, 15, were removed by request if lawyers in certain current cases or investigations. For example, the Missouri one, which involves Biden and Twitter. I'm not, I never saw them post. I was watching him thread live and I never saw Matt Taibbi make those tweets. Um, I was watching him thread live and refreshing over and over. And he then typed out, okay, there was some throat clearing about the process, but screw it. Let's jump forward. And he jumped to 16. Um, I never saw him post 13, 14, 15. Now I saw some people in chat say that he did and then removed them. I didn't see that. Um, and I was refreshing him about every 30 to 60 seconds. So I didn't see that. I think maybe y'all are thinking about the, uh, other one he deleted because it contained Jack's email address. Um, and that wasn't in that gap. That one's further down here. But hey, maybe maybe I missed it. Maybe maybe I missed it. I was refreshing over and over, but um, there were some glitches with Twitter. Twitter was a uh, was hot, so maybe it just maybe I just missed them. Okay, next one, number thirty three. Within a day, head of public policy, Lauren Culbertson, receives a ghastly letter report from Carl Sabo of the research firm NetChoice, which had already polled 12 members of Congress, nine Republicans and three Democrats, from the House Judiciary Committee to Rep. Judy Chu's office. So this is from Sabo, subject recap of Hill convos about Biden and censorship. The date is Thursday, October 15th, 2020. Lauren, yesterday, Net Choices Chris Marchese met informally with nine Republicans and three Democrat House staffers to gather intel about Facebook and Twitter and the New York Post story. The staffers hail from the House Judiciary Committee to Rep. Rep. Judy Chu's office. Net Choice lets Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings, with members saying it's a tipping point. Complaining tech has grown so big that they can't even regulate themselves, so government may need to intervene. High-level takeaway. Every Republican said this is a tipping point, it's too much, and both Democrats and Republicans were angry. Sabo reports to Twitter that some Hill figures 
are characterizing the laptop laptop story as tech's access Hollywood moment. When asked just how bad the situation is, one staffer said it's tech's access Hollywood moment and it has no Hillary to hide behind. Others were more blunt. Tech is screwed and rightfully so. Twitter files continued. The First Amendment isn't absolute. Sabo's letter contains chilling passages relaying Democratic lawmakers' attitudes. They want more moderation. And as for the Bill of Rights, it's not absolute. The Democrats, meanwhile, complained that the companies are inept. They let conservatives muddy the water and make the Biden campaign look corrupt, even though Biden is innocent. They linked this to Hillary Clinton's email scandal. She did nothing wrong, but because the press wouldn't let the story go, it became a scandal far out of proportion. In their mind, social media is doing the same thing. It doesn't moderate enough harmful content, harmful to Democrats. So when it does, like it did yesterday, it becomes a story. If the companies moderated more, conservatives wouldn't even think to use social media for disinformation, misinformation, or otherwise. The Democrats were in agreement. Social media needs to moderate more because they're corrupting democracy and making all, quote, truth relative. When pushed on how the government might insist on that, consistent with the First Amendment, they demurred, quote, the First Amendment isn't absolute. Man, I would love to... uh Some of my lefty friends, I would really like to hear their comments on this passage here. An amazing subplot of the Twitter Hunter Biden laptop affair was how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get unfucked, as one ex-employee put it, even after Dorsey jumped in. While reviewing Gade's emails, I saw a familiar name, my own. Dorsey sent her a copy of my Substack article blasting the incident forward. With the Hunter Biden expose, suppression is a bigger scandal than the actual story by Matt Taibbi. Sent on October 24th, 2020, 11 p.m. to Jack, or from Jack to Vijaya. Now, this tweet did get deleted because he accidentally um, included Jack's email address. And Jack's email address right here is jack at zero dot pizza. And so many people seized on this and made it a big deal that Jack's email address was zero dot pizza. And I think the, I just think that's absurd. Like, like I'm with you guys on the, the code words being used and Hillary Clinton's emails. And I'm with you on, um, the Pizzagate thing. And I'm, I'm like, I'm there guys. I'm, I'm there on these people using code words and other stuff. I'm, I'm with you, but 
sometimes an email address is just an email address. And you can't take you can't take zero dot pizza here and then take a pizza emoji that Jack tweeted one time and take a tweet about making pasta and put it all together and say, therefore Jack's a pedophile. Like that's not evidence. (laughs) That's not, that's not, these are like, you can't connect those things and it's not proof of anything. Um, and I saw so many people squirrel off on this, this right here, when this was not even all that interesting in the context of everything else this thread was about. Of all the things in this thread to spend a bunch of time on, this ain't it. And by the way, it says zero dot pizza. It's not like... I don't know. Like I I just I just think it's absurd to uh to squirrel off on that and try and use that as proof of some sort of activity or whatever about Jack Dorsey. Um It's just me, another rumble rumble rant. Thank you very much. Kyle, I meant to I meant that prior to posting there was a delay. Elon said they had to check something. I think maybe parties from those cases or investigators act them to take them out from the get go. Yeah, that's yeah, I agree with that. I think that there are well, we know that there is litigation going on. So it makes sense to me that those were removed. And it also makes sense to me that all of Matt Taibbi's thread here was constrained by whatever legal action is going on. Hopefully there's some legal action related like DOJ is looking at criminal activity here. Hopefully, but we know that there's lawsuits already. So yeah, I think that um, what we get out of these Twitter files right now is going to be constrained by that legal action, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to get transparency. Elon said that his goal is to be, to give full, eventually give full transparency about everything, put it all out there. Steve Claybaugh, Mike Church could talk on subject amendments, do not give rights. They tell the Fed what they are not allowed to talk about. IG speech. Yeah. I mean, the Bill of Rights doesn't give us our rights. Our rights are given to us by God. That is correct. Um, the, the, our, what, did, what did Barack Obama say? Our Constitution is a, our Bill of Rights are negative rights where they tell the government what they can't do, but they don't tell the government what they must do. It's uh, Sammy the Squirrel. Good morning. It's. Tweets number 13, 14, and 15 are what are missing from this thread. (laughs) Okay, Iowa Trump, you're right. Yes, you can do, you can make more of it than what it actually is. But you, should you? (laughs) I don't think you should. All right. Um, The problem with the hacked materials ruling, several sources said, was that this normally required an official law enforcement finding of a hack. But such a finding never appears throughout what one executive described as a whirlwind, 24-hour, company-wide mess. Now, this one was interesting. It says, hi, Owls. But it doesn't say who Owls is or who the Owls are. It just says, hi, Owls. And I find that, I mean, we know there's Owls are mentioned in the drops, but I was just like, why? 
What is this Owls? Is that a nickname for somebody? Is that a team? Who is this? Who is it? Who is it addressed to? It doesn't. I'm, I'm really not sure who that this is the last one. And I'm not sure who it's addressed to. Jin's Mai, that's a good bet. The Night Crew, that's a good bet. It could be the Night Crew. One executive describes a 24-hour company-wide mess. All right, so what this message says, though, it says, Hi, Owls. As you probably are aware, Twitter sanctioned. There we go. As you probably are aware, Twitter actioned tweets yesterday relating to two New York Post articles that were tweeted out allegedly included pictures and screenshots of emails from a laptop that allegedly belonged to Hunter Biden, presidential candidate Joe Biden's son. Our teams made the determination that the materials fall under our hacked materials policy in addition to sharing personal information, so links were actioned. As you may know, the, this existing policy framework was launched in 2018 to mitigate real-time harm based on hack and leak scenarios coming out of the 2016 election. Several high-profile accounts, including press outlets, were impacted by this decision and were actioned. Unfortunately, the language that was provided in the product may have created confusion, indicating the links were spam or unsafe. Consequently, Twitter safety explained the reasoning here in a thread. This morning, the New York Post tweeted additional links to stories that contained pictures and screenshots of owls or of emails. <laughs> I have owls on my mind. Contained pictures and screenshots of emails that we also actioned. The teams determined that Trump campaign tweet that previously was actioned for containing PPI would not be reactioned when it was retweeted without the PPI blurred. I know there are questions that you probably have and are also probably getting a lot of incoming from stakeholders such as government, academic, civil society, etc. The last 24 hours certainly have been a whirlwind with lots of curves and unknowns, and we fully expect that the issues surrounding this matter will continue to swirl in the coming days. So thank you to everyone for your patience. And the very last messages from or tweet from Matt Taibbi is, it's been a whirlwind 96 hours for me. There is much more to come, including answers to questions about issues like shadow banning, boosting, follower counts, the fate of various individual accounts, and more. These issues are not limited to the political right. Good night, everyone. Thanks to all those who picked up the phone in the last few days. Okay. Forgotten Son says, I think owls are the blue check mafia. Um, It makes sense to me that it could be the night crew i don't night shift makes a lot yeah unchained over on fox so night shift makes a lot of sense to me um dina 731 says project al the osint community hub for twitter that's a possibility um yeah interesting he didn't he didn't matt didn't tell us who they were so Maybe this is something that is understood who they are, and I'm just, I just don't know. So that was the first edition of the Twitter files. Now, then this, what I liked about how this went down was that even though it was frustrating at the time, is that 
um, it played out like it took Matt Taibbi two hours to type all this or an hour and a half. And so it was like a movie where you were waiting. Everybody, the Twitter was hot. It ended up being a stress test for Twitter, which I think was part of Elon's methodology here. I think he did that on purpose to stress test Twitter um, by having that many people on it at the same time, refreshing over and over again for this one thread. I think this is hugely significant. This is, we have, we got evidence of crimes and first amendment violations on Friday night by the Biden presidential team and by the DNC. Then the next night, Elon jumped on a Twitter spaces chat with a hundred thousand people. So that became a stress test for Twitter spaces. Now, I'm sure this has been uploaded to other places by now, but MJ Truth on Rumble uploaded this, and I appreciate it. That's the recording I listened to. Um, it's over two hours. Elon comes in, I want to say 30 or 45 minutes into it. It is at times a difficult listen because they have connectivity issues. So questions get repeated a lot. Excuse me. And... um. It, it can be frustrating to listen to at times, but I found it very much worth it to hear from Elon Musk. Um, his comments on transparency were exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, he called what the Biden team and DNC did as election interference and said, how could you call it anything else other than election interference? Um, he talked about why he bought the company and talked about how his decision was he would have bought it sooner if conditions had been right, but things had to play out the way they did. And, um, I thought it was a really interesting conversation hearing from him. Um, Oh, y'all are 1.1 million participants. I thought it was a hundred thousand. I saw Elon post that there were a hundred thousand on the call. I wonder if it's 1.1 million were in and out total came in and out, but it was like a hundred thousand steady. Cause I saw that Elon made a comment. It is possible to have, it turns out it's possible to have a conversation with a hundred thousand people at the same time. Something like that. Um, over the course of it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, um, there are recordings out there. MJ Truth post, posted one on Rumble. I think it's really good. Um, as as y'all know, if you watch my show, I'm an Elon fan. Uh, I, I have been for a very long time. I'm a fan of all of his companies. I think he does great work. I'm a fan of his... his I, I like his brain. Um, even when I disagree with him on stuff. I, I like him. And I know that this triggered a lot of people. A lot of people are think, think he's into transhumanism. Um, I don't see Neuralink as transhumanism. I understand how people would conflate Neuralink with transhumanism. Um, and a lot of people have a problem with Neuralink. I personally don't. Um, I think you're all living aug- augmented lives right now. <laughs> um, like, whether you want to admit it or not, 
you guys are all living, all of us, we're all living augmented lives right now. We've all augmented our brains, all of us. It's just not attached to you, but it might as well be. It might as well be. Um, I think what he's trying to do with Neuralink is great. And I think his warnings about AI are profound and he's been on the cutting edge of it. Um, I don't have, I don't have a fear of technology. I have a fear of bad people. I don't, I don't have a fear of, um, of tech or tools. I don't have a fear of them. I have a fear of bad people having access and control of tools. Um, that's it. So stuff like this doesn't bother me. I'm not worried about this. Um, I don't want it mandated. I don't believe in mandates. So yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Musk, but I know, I know this cre- Neuralink creeps, creeps people out. But hey, pacemakers creeped people out years ago, and so did various other things. Um, so, new technology has a way of making people uncomfortable at first. That's just that's just how it is. The uh, the people who sold horse whips and all of that they they didn't like cars. I mean, that's just how it goes as technology advances. So, but I think Musk has proven, um, or has given evidence that he is, um, he's not the bad guy that he has made out to be. You know, one thing, one thing to to remember about Musk is that he's hated by all the pharmaceutical companies. He's hated by all the car companies. He's hated by the um, climate change industry because he's not in on the grift like they are. Um, he's actually trying to make real cars. And um, he's hated by the aerospace industry because he has this wildly successful SpaceX company. Um, a lot of the people who... A lot of powerful people... There's a lot of powerful people who really don't like Elon Musk. Have you ever noticed you don't see Tesla commercials very much? Like, I don't know how many of you still watch cable news, but have you ever seen a Tesla commercial on like Fox News or CNN or MSNBC? You see other car commercials. Like Musk is up against a lot of powerful people who want him to fail. And they've done a really good job of trying to program people with a negative view of Musk. Um, they do that on purpose. They're trying to make Musk a villain. That's what they, that's what they want to do. They want to make Musk a villain and they work against him. Um, constantly. 
Anytime a Tesla has any accident whatsoever, it's all over the news. Every time. They're doing their best to make his cars a joke when actually his cars are really good. You know, you know how hard it is to have a successful car company? Um, you know how hard it is to have a successful rocket company? Anyway. Anyway. I'm, I'm a fan of Musk. I should stop fanboying on him a little bit here. Y'all going to get annoyed with me doing it. All right. So... That's the show for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hit the plus button over on Rumble. That really helps me out. Also, if you're looking for some honey or some soap or some candy or some barbecue sauce, I have a partnership with Benson Honey Farms. If you use Repco Just Human, it helps them out and helps me out. I just got some candy from them. I love this candy. I have their honey right here. It's BensonHoneyFarms.com. Use rep code just human. Um, if you decide to make a purchase over there, they have gift baskets and other things. Their honey is awesome. I use it every day in my coffee. I put it on my kids' waffles. Um, we do no, we don't use corn syrup in this house. So honey is our go-to as far as sweetening things. Um, I love Benson Honey Farms products. Their soap and their candy are my favorites. And yeah, if you guys are interested in that type of product, BensonHoneyFarms.com, rep code just human. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show um, beyond just sharing it, I appreciate it very much. You can subscribe, JustHuman.Substack.com, or you can go to BuyMeACoffee.com slash JustHuman. Those are the two best ways to support the show. Um, I love doing this show. I love presenting this information, this content, and giving my opinions and interacting with y'all in chat. Um, but it's the only way I can do it is if it makes financial sense and the support that y'all give is makes that. So, um, I couldn't do it without y'all support and I'm very grateful for it. Y'all, y'all have, um, y'all have made this possible and I, I just can't thank you enough for it. I will be back again on, um, Wednesday, 9 30 AM. And a lot of people have asked me to tear into the, Missouri Missouri case against the Biden administration that Tracy Beans has been covering. People have asked me to look into that case. I'm not sure that I it's it's already really deep. I don't want to uh, cover the whole thing, but I do want to extract the filings that have to do with Twitter. So I'm planning on Wednesday reading some of the filings that have to do with Twitter. And um, there's a, I might pull up the files on this. JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank lawsuit having to do with Epstein go over those files. So on Wednesday, that's, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at probably digging into some court filings, all that dorky stuff that, uh, some of you nerds like. So that's my plan. All right, guys, hope y'all have a blessed Monday. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. See ya. Oh, come on. Let me. Okay. I've screwed something up. Here we go. God dang it. All right. Totally messed up my exit. I have it. I had the exit. Oh, golly. I had it all planned out. What is going on? Oh, my gosh. Today must be Monday. Okay. Totally screwed screwed this up. Let me go over here. All right. All right. Here here.
just pretend my exit was as super pro as usual. There we go. There we go. Now I got it working. Y'all have a great Monday.